Good luck. Mm -hmm. 
All right, let's go ahead and get started tonight if we can, please. We are very glad that you're here tonight. And it seems like people are excited. I don't know how you couldn't be with the beautiful weather we've had today. Uh, it's just wonderful to, to be out and about. And then on Wednesday night, come together and study God's word and uh, edify one another. Uh, and we're just honored to have each of you tonight, especially if you're visiting with us. We want you to know that. We want to invite you. Uh, to come back this coming Sunday morning at 9.30 uh, for our worship service. We'll have excellent Bible classes for all ages uh, at 5 o'clock on Sunday night. We would love to see you then. Hope you'll get a bulletin on your way in or out, and uh, that'll have an update uh, on the sick. Uh, I do want to say, and I don't want to just single them out, but Evan and Tori Pounds are here tonight with the babies, and it's always good to see them. And uh, there are others that we know that are, are with us. Lynn is back with us, Lynn Barragona. Uh, she's been back with us for a couple of weeks, but we're glad she's improving. And of course, Brother Don Dawson is home on hospice care. He's not doing well at all, so we need to remember him. This coming Sunday night at five o'clock, we're going to have Lads to Leaders Recognition Night. And you're encouraged to wear your Boonville Lads to Leaders shirts and Bring your medals and wear those, and bring your art says it, those pieces for display. Also, if you're a graduating high school senior uh, in the class of 23, uh, please sign the sheet uh, that's on the youth table. Also, I want to put in a little plug for April 30th. That's the fifth Sunday, and uh, of course, every fifth Sunday, we have a designation for our contribution. And this is going toward mission work, very important. Uh, that's our primary responsibility, so be considering that. Also, we want to express our deepest sympathy to uh, Mary Dooley and her family in the death of her grandfather, Joe Downs. Uh, that funeral was yesterday. And we also rejoice uh, that Kendall Galloway was baptized on Sunday, April the 9th. Uh, she was assisted in her obedience to the gospel by her father, Drew, and uh, we're proud of her, and we welcome her to our church family. Uh, there's going to be a wedding shower table, or there already is, uh, back in the foyer, set up in honor of Lily Grace uh, Michael, the bride-elect of uh, Dylan Davis, and uh, they are registered at Corner Gifts, Walmart, and Amazon. We also want to congratulate Johnny and Kim Parker. Uh, they have a new grandson. Uh, Huxton Lee May was born to Austin and Katie on April the 13th, weighed five pound, eight pounds and five ounces, and was 20 inches long. Also, FHU Associates, Freedom Associates, uh, you'll meet tomorrow night in the annex at seven o'clock. Tomorrow, of course, is our food pantry and clothes closet from nine to 10.30. We'd love for you to come and uh, be a part of that if you would like to help in any way. And of course, vegetable oil uh, is the pantry item we would like to ask you to bring this week. We are just a few days away from our special weekend. Uh, I've heard a lot of people, even in the community, uh, say that they're excited about this. Uh, when people uh, out in the community hear about the event we're having, it really hits home to them with the topics that we're dealing with. Uh, this was brought tonight. Uh, this is the back page of the Daily Corinthian. Isn't that nice right there? I thought that was great. And I just hope we're going to be working hard to make this day a success. As I said last Wednesday night, we expect our folks to be here. This is, not, this is really not an optional thing, if at all possible. You need to be here this is something for you, this is something you'll need, but it's something people in our community need. And so we need to be looking forward to the activities of Saturday the 29th. Uh, Dr. Sam Jones, a very capable uh, and able speaker, uh, dealing with these uh, awesome topics of pornography, drugs and alcohol, the dangers of homosexuality, gender identity, also the dangers of anxiety, depression and suicide. And as I said, this will be a G-rated presentation, and I want you to keep that in mind if you have children. It'll be very appropriate for them. So make your plans to be a part of this yourself, and you got to work yourself to invite other people to come. Use social media 
talk to your coworkers about it, your classmates at school. And then keep in mind this coming Saturday, beginning at nine o'clock, we're gonna meet in the annex and we're gonna knock on some doors in our area. And uh, very interestingly, and I think it's a good thing, the art festival is taking place at Boonville on Saturday. And so we're gonna try to hit that pretty hard as well uh, with these advertisements. That's a wonderful blessing, I think, uh, for this as well. And so we need to work hard to make this day a success. And I hope you'll uh, take that responsibility personally and seriously. That's all the announcements that I have tonight. Uh, let's now enter into our devotional. Go ahead and mark in your psalm book number 943. 943. We'll sing this after Doug's devotional thoughts. 943. And after you mark that, turn to 618. 618. people here exercise in one way or another. A lot of you are involved in walking and uh, we try, if we do exercise, we try to do that consistently. But what if we would walk with the Lord? When we talk about walking with the Lord in the Bible, that just simply means living for the Lord daily. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 16 reminds us to be renewed day by day. Every day we need to work to be renewed. How do we do this? Well, let me give you just four brief ideas that will help you in your daily walk with the Lord. First of all, every day you need to let God say something to you. We need to love the word of God. We need to love the law of God as the psalmist expressed in Psalms 119. You need to read and study and meditate upon God's word every day. Also, every day you need to say something to God. We are to pray without ceasing. You know, prayer, I believe, is a way to get God to do things for us that perhaps he normally wouldn't do if we didn't pray. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It does much good. And so let God talk to you through the word of God. You talk to God through prayer. Thirdly, every day you need to do something for God. And we do something for God by doing something for our fellow man. Galatians 6 and verse 10 says, as we therefore have opportunity, let's do good to all men, but especially unto them who are the household of faith. And so be helpful to a neighbor. 
Speak a good word of encouragement to somebody. Do good to one another. Seek out opportunities to encourage and assist. And then fourthly, every day you need to say something for God. We're all familiar with the Great Commission to go into all the world. We've heard it all of our lives. Every day, you ought to say something about God to other people. Maybe it's as simple as inviting somebody to church. Now, will you be my guest this Sunday? Maybe it's a, a simple verse of encouragement as they deal with a certain problem in their lives. We need to be willing to focus our minds on spiritual things as we carry on our conversations with those with whom we work and those who are our classmates and so on. And so the, the Bible challenges us to be Christ-like every day. These four things are spiritual exercise. These are the ways that we walk with the Lord. Tonight, are, are you walking with the Lord? Are you truly walking as God would have you to. And of course, walking with God cannot begin until you become his child. Become a child of God is so very easy and simple. If you believe that Jesus is all that he claimed to be, the divine son of God, and in that faith, you're willing to change. You're willing to repent of your sins, confess the beautiful name of Jesus, that he's the son of God. You can be baptized, immersed in water, baptized into the Lord's death where his blood was shed, that act of baptism will wash away all your sins. Tonight we give you that opportunity to do just that. If you need to come, we ask that you come now while we stand and sing. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day, the blessings we've had, the food we've received, the safety that was given us. Lord, we're so thankful to be able to gather here in this midweek Bible study hour. We're so thankful to be here with our brothers and sisters and being able to partake of thy word. Pray, Lord, we'll come in and shed the worldly stresses and worries from our mind and open our hearts to thy word and pray we'll meditate upon it, grow and learn from it and apply it in our lives and and spread it to others, Lord, so they may receive blessings also. Lord, we ask that you be with the many a number that are hurting, the ones that are sick, the ones that are without. Lord, we continue to pray for the storm victims. Lord, we pray to continue to bring normalcy to their life, Lord, if it be thy will. 
Lord, we're so thankful for all we have, but above all things, thankful for Christ who came for us. Pray we'll always be grateful and show that, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing one verse of 590, and while we're singing this song, you're one of our Bible class teachers. You can go ahead and exit the auditorium, preparing for your class. Number 590, the very first verse. Jesus is all the world to me. Again, good evening to you all. Happy and fortunate and blessed to be able to be here. Uh, go ahead, if you would, and be opening your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Uh, that's where we'll be this evening. And uh, given that we don't have a lot of time left in this study, next Wednesday uh, will be the conclusion uh, of this study together. And so what I want to do uh, this evening is I want to kind of, at, at least the best I can, to try and to just give an overview and just kind of hit some highlights uh, here. And so tonight, as God willing, as time permits, uh, we'll look through chapters 10 and 11, and then we will, uh, next Wednesday, we'll give an overview and synopsis of chapters 12 through 16, and if all goes according to plan, then that will uh, bring us to a close. I would prefer, uh, if I could, to have a few more weeks, uh, but unfortunately, Tom has gotten away from us, uh, but we will do the best that we can. So again, Romans chapter 10 uh, is where we find ourselves uh, this evening, and uh, per our uh, custom, uh, before we before we begin, I would like to open us up with a word of prayer. And uh, JT, would you mind to lead us in that? Give us strength that we might be able to 
to, uh, we're saying the temptation is greater in the future than we have in the past. We say the past in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. All right. And I'll also ask you to uh, bear with me. You might be able to detect it in my voice, uh, but I came down uh, yesterday with the beginning of what I believe is probably some seasonal allergies, uh, so some sinus drainage. So if you will, please just bear uh, with me in this and we will get through it the best that we can. All right. So remember last week uh, when we began, we went through chapter nine. We began to look at the things that Paul has to say concerning specifically Israel. And if you'll recall, uh, I encouraged you to, as you had the opportunity, to read and to study chapters 9 through 11 uh, together. And if we do that, I believe you'll be able to see how all of that flows. But in all of this, again, he is talking about Israel. Again, the question was asked, is Romans written to the Jews or to the Gentiles? And my answer again is, it depends. And specifically, it depends on which part of the book you're in. Well, we come here to 9, 10, and 11. He is talking to and about the Jews. So he begins chapter 10 uh, here specifically verses 1 through 4 with that statement, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be Saved, And of course, again, when he says, uh, says this, he's talking about physical Israel. He's talking about uh, his kinsmen, his fellow Jews from the religion, of course, from which he converted. And that too, while simplistic, that should be our desire as well. Uh, we can see Paul's sincerity here as he pins these words. He goes on. Uh, two, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. Well, what did they, what were they zealous in when it comes to their zeal for God? Well, that would be the keeping and the maintaining of the law of Moses. And as we've already seen, of course, all the way back in chapter seven, he establishes that that has been done away with. So what is the issue here? For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So they were ignorant. Now given that they were the ones that had had the law revealed to them when Moses ascended Mount Sinai. They had the priesthood, they had the prophets. How is it that they were ignorant? They were willfully ignorant. Because, and he's going to establish here, that they had rejected that which had been revealed. So when he says uh, that they were seeking to establish their own righteousness, he's talking about, again, their works, their works of the law and their belief that following and obeying and keeping the law of Moses is what would save them. So in contrast to that, God's righteousness in contrast to theirs, is what? Submission to Christ. Now remember, Jesus himself said that he came to what with the law? He came to abolish it. So he fulfilled, Jesus fulfilled the law in its abolition and in the establishment of the new covenant. So he's going to go on, and I'll give you as well, uh, there Luke chapter 24, verses 13 through 49. And there in Luke's account of Jesus' resurrection, you have that account there in which Jesus sort of revealed himself uh, to his disciples and to others. And then what did he do in that? Luke tells us that he began from the law 
And he taught them from the law, the prophets, and the Psalms all things concerning himself. So we see all of that established. So we come uh, to verse 5 and through the rest of the chapter, verse 21. And again, I'll, I'll try to be as brief and concise as I possibly can to establish these arguments as he has done in preceding sections. He is going to quote rather heavily from the writings of the Old Testament. So we come uh, here to verse 5. He quotes Moses who says, The man who does those things shall live by them. Well, that comes from Leviticus chapter 18 and verse 5. If you want to go there and get the greater context for that statement. Well, what is Moses talking about? And more specifically... What is Paul talking about when he quotes Moses? Well, in the immediate context, Leviticus 18, those are the laws uh, governing and concerning sexual practices. But it's in that context that Moses makes that statement, but Paul applies it secondarily here to show and to establish what he has been arguing for. So when he says the man who does those things shall live by them, remember what he would go on and tell the Galatians that one who does part of the law is what? Debtor to do the whole law. James makes that point as well in his epistle. So he's going to go on and again he is going to quote uh, here from the Proverbs, actually, we come to verse 6, he is going to quote uh, Proverbs chapter 30 and verse 4. So we come, uh, come down here, but the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, do not say in your heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. And again, keep in mind the context here. He's talking to the Jews they had rejected Jesus. And if you'll recall, in the accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as Jesus was on the cross and as they mocked him, what was one of the things that they said? If you be the Son of God, what? Save yourself or bring yourself down. The point here being that they had these writings, they had the teachings, they had all the evidence of the signs and the miracles, and yet they still chose not to believe. And it's still in that context of them having, as he said, established their own righteousness. So he's going to go on uh, here a little bit, little bit further. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. Oh, here he's quoting from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 30. And then we're going to get into here in verses 9 and 10, some passages that are probably a little bit more familiar to us. But again, like with a lot of things, as we've pointed out in the book of Romans, these are passages that are misunderstood. So it's here that he makes the, the statement that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. All right, so what's he talking about here in verse 9? Confess with your, confess with your mouth. That is your confession of faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But again, nowhere in here or anywhere else does Paul or any of the other New Testament writers, for that matter, teach that this is all that is necessary for salvation. In the totality of all of this, the confession and the belief that is the entirety of the gospel message. 
Faith in Jesus as the Son of God, confession of that faith, and obedience unto it. How? Through baptism. It doesn't have to be there in this statement for it to be true because that has been established elsewhere. And so again, remember the context. He is speaking of his fellow Israelites. So we come to verse 11. Uh, here he quotes from the prophet Isaiah. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. That is Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. And there, of course, Isaiah is speaking of the condition of Judah, Israel, in his day, calling the people to repentance. Paul is doing the same thing here. He is calling for the salvation of his fellow Israelites. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Again, establishing there's not one way for the Jews, there's not a separate way for the Gentiles, but it is the same. There's no special privileges for being a Jew. There's no special privileges for being a Gentile. It's about your heart and about faith. And so that is what he is establishing. All right, 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, that sounds... That sounds familiar. Again, he's uh, quoting here from the Old Testament. He's quoting from the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2, verse 32, one of the passages that Peter cites in Acts chapter 2. And then I will parallel uh, with that as well, Acts 22 and verse 16. Why do you tarry? What? Arise. And be baptized, washing away your sins, doing what? Calling on the name of the Lord. So we can see from that passage that calling on the name of the Lord is a call to obedience to the gospel message. All right, we continue... Here we come down to verse 14. He asks this rhetorical, these rhetorical questions again. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall, they, how shall rather they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written. So when we see that statement, as it is written, or something like that, we know there is going to be another Old Testament Citation, And again, he is quoting here from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 52 and verse 7, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Well, what is this good news, these glad tidings that he's talking about here? It's that salvation is available for all who believe and confess. That's it. It's amazing and it is beautiful how simple the scriptures are when we study them in context. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? Well, that's Isaiah chapter 53. So what's the point there? Well, that some had rejected that message. So then, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Very simple. So how does one establish faith? By hearing. But we also need to add to that, and of course we can see it based on teachings elsewhere. James tells us, for example, that one is to be a, what, a doer of the word and not a hearer only. So it's a faith that is to be acted upon. It is something that is to be active and ongoing in 
our lives. Their sound has gone out, out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. But I, but I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, verse 19, again, he is quoting here from uh, Moses. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 21. And then he closes the section here by quoting again Isaiah, Isaiah 65, verses 1 and 2. And so we can see here, again, that's our brief summary of chapter 10. Uh, so what I'll do, I'll go ahead before we move on into 11, and I'll go ahead and uh, pause for a moment, come up for some air and... If any of you have any questions or comments uh, pertaining to anything that we have just looked at, uh, please feel free to make that at this time. Okay, we'll go ahead and we'll move on into chapter 11. So again, the same context, 9, 10, and 11 go together. So he begins here in verses 1 through 10, he invokes this idea of the remnant, or that is that small group that did act in obedience, and those, or they rather, will be saved. Because he asks, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. So he's giving them assurance that despite... All of these things, Israel's rejection is not complete. They have not been abandoned by God. But what he is saying is that they need to take advantage of what is before them. And he goes on to explain why they have not been cast away. He goes into his own background, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. He's not saying that to boast, but he is saying that to establish that he himself came from the Jewish faith, but here he is now a Christian. And I think about his statement in chapter 10 that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. When we are introduced to him in Acts 7, the end of it, and then on into chapters 8 and 9, where he is persecuting the church, I can't help but wonder if when he makes that statement, if maybe he's thinking about himself a little bit there. For he himself once had that zeal, but not according to knowledge. But now he has the zeal and he has the knowledge. All right, so again, he assures them, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. And again, we looked at that uh, last week in chapter 9, that is choosing Jacob. And again, we're talking about individuals rather than nations. All right, uh, so he goes on. We come down to verse 3. We see another uh, Old Testament citation here. He quotes from the book of First Kings, chapter 19, and verses 10 through 12. And there... If you'll recall, that is after Elijah has confronted and subsequently killed the prophets of Baal. He goes into hiding. Why? Well, because he's done that and Jezebel is seeking to kill him. So what is said here concerning Elijah? Elijah says, verse 3, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So what's Paul's point here? His point is that even as wicked as Israel was in the days of Elijah, that even then there were faithful people who feared and obeyed God. And he's giving them that same assurance here 
by repeating that statement. Chapter 15 and verse 4, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, so that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's what he is giving them here. He is giving them and giving us hope. And he makes that conclusion in verse 5 by affirming that even in the present time that there was still a remnant. That is, there were still Jews, Israelites, who were seeking to obey and to do God's will. All right, so he goes on here. Uh, we come down to verse 8. But just as it is written. All right, he's going to quote uh, several, a few different passages here. Uh, it's kind of a mix between Isaiah and the Psalms. Uh, but Isaiah chapter 29 and verse 10. And Psalm 69 verses 22 through 23. And again, if you miss any of those references, uh, please see me afterward and I will be happy uh, to supply that with you again. All right, so again, he is giving them encouragement. So we come on uh, to verse 11, verses 11 through 24, and we see the grafting of the Gentiles. Grafting is something with which I really, I truly have no experience. I know there may be some of you that have done that with regards to various uh, trees and plants, but what I do know of the process is that it is the taking of a branch, for example, from one tree and placing it into another for the purpose of what? Making it stronger and for growth. So Paul is going to use that as an example to show that how to show that the Gentiles have been brought in just as he had selected Israel. So he says in verse eleven, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now we see here, and what he's telling them is that Israel could be saved. He's saying that it is possible. But now we're going to see him begin to shift just a little bit back from the Jews back to the Gentiles. Now, I will also say before we move on that this jealousy spoken of in verse 11, and again, jealousy or to be jealous, it's one of those things that we typically associate with the negative, something that we are to avoid or to have no part of our lives. And while that is true as a general rule, biblically there is a sense in which jealousy is acceptable. We're told in Exodus that the Lord your God is a jealous God. And in that he means that they were to serve and to seek after him and him only. Just as in, uh, for example, the marriage relationship, when you have the union of a man and a woman, they are to seek only after each other. There should be no desire to seek after others. So in that sense, we are, or at least we should be, jealous over our spouses. And so that's the context uh, here in that. And also, he mentions this again to encourage Israel to take advantage of this as well with the hope being that the Jews would desire salvation just as it had been granted to the Gentiles. So he goes on, I'm 
skipping again just a little bit, but we come down to 13, for I speak to you Gentiles. So here's where our shift begins. Inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, and he was, I magnify my ministry, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. So he's telling them that even though he was sent to minister to them, he still had this love and this yearning for the salvation of his kinsmen. For if they're being cast away as the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root is holy, so are the branches. So he continues on, I hear 17 and 18, and he gives that picture I picture roots, I picture a tree with a trunk, and I picture these branches. The first fruits, that again is referring back imagery to the Old Testament. There and in the harvest, Israel was to what? They were to give the first fruits of their harvest to God. That is what they produced first and the best of their harvest. And if, 17, some of the branches were broken off in you being a wild olive tree, so the branches here would be the Jews, the olive tree would be the Gentiles, were grafted in among them and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. That is unity, the coming together, one, can we see the picture that is being painted here? And it is a beautiful image. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. He's telling them, he's giving the Gentiles the same admonition that he has given to the Jews. Don't boast. They had done nothing to save themselves. Salvation is of and from God. So he's reminding them, so if this be the case, if they be the branches, then who or what is represented by the root? Be Christ. He goes on, you will say then, so he's anticipating their argument just as he has done with his Jewish brethren, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. God cast them away so that I can be saved. No, that's not what he's teaching here. He's going to continue. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. They separated themselves not that God willfully cut them off, but because they had rejected him and the teachings of his word. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. That is a very humbling statement. Israel... His chosen people rejected him, and as a result, they were separated from him. And so he's telling his Gentile readers here that if they were not careful, that the same thing could happen to them. They need not take pride because they too could reject, they too could fall away, just as Israel had done. Therefore, it's in this statement, in this context, we find that statement, consider the goodness and severity of God. That's something that I don't think we think about and talk about enough. The goodness and the severity of God. People love to talk about God's goodness 
They love to talk about mercy and grace, but they don't like to talk about judgment and wrath to come. But it's in this context that Paul is making this statement and he's reminding them that just as God had blessed them with the opportunity to be saved, if they reject that, they too will be cut off. Remember Hebrews 10, 26 through 31, talking about those who continue to willfully sin. We would do well to take heed to that. He continues this on those who fell severity, that would be the Jews, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. Notice that if, that makes that a conditional statement. Now why is that important? It's important because a conditional promise is something that can be revoked if the terms of it are not met. And I'll give you an example. How many of us either have or in the present are making monthly payments on, say, a vehicle? I imagine, I'm not currently, thankfully, I'm blessed in that regard, but I have in the times past. What is the condition that the lender gives you to be able to keep that vehicle? What's that? Make the payment. What happens if you don't? Some gentleman is going to pull up to your driveway in a tow truck. And that's not going to be a lot of fun. The point is, simple. God has done for us what he has promised. It is up to us as to whether or not we are going to accept and obey it. We see that if a lot in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. You go back and you read the books of the law. If you do this, if you do not do this, and in either case, God kept his promises and he is going to keep his promises to us. They don't, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I would bring them here. I would bring them to Romans 11. And I would ask them to read verse 22. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. So thank you. All right. Uh, as, we, as we continue on, he says in 23, and they also... He's talking about the Jews. If they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. He's saying here that God can save anyone. This is something important too that we need to understand. And especially with as many uh, various teachings as there are in the world. Again, the I think of the Calvinistic uh, doctrines of unconditional election, for example, in which they teach that God is arbitrarily chosen who is to be lost and who is to be saved, but he teaches right here that salvation can be lost. We would do well to remember that. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted Watch this, contrary to nature. Contrary to nature. God 
promised to bring a Savior into the world. And He did through Jesus Christ so that all may have the opportunity to be saved. How much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? All right, we have almost reached the uh, end of our study, but I'll give you another reference here, uh, John 10 and verse 16. Uh, you'll recall there, Jesus uh, gives a teaching there of the vine and the branches. Well, who are the branches? We are. Who is the vine? He is. And that would fit uh, with this. So we come here to verses 25 through 36, and we look at uh, this mystery. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So he's going to reveal something to them. Lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, and so that all Israel will be saved as it is written. So here, 26 and 27. Excuse me, again, uh, he is quoting from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 20 and 21. There, so again, he's making a contrast between the Jews, those who had uh, accepted this and those who had rejected. All right, so he's going to continue on. Watch this. For concerning, verse 28, the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. For you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. God had brought them in in his goodness. Even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So is Paul teaching here that God is just going to arbitrarily reject some? No. But what he is saying is that God in his goodness and his mercy can and will save anyone who desires to be saved. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Uh, so there are 34 and 35. Uh, he quotes here again from Isaiah, Isaiah 40 and verse 13. And he quotes from Job as well, Job chapter 41 and verse 11. He ends it in 36, for of him and through him to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. All right, so we'll again next Wednesday, God willing, uh, we'll look Briefly, as we have time through chapters 12 through uh, 16, so remember 1 through 11 is the doctrine. He has identified the problem, which is sin. He has established that both Jew and Gentile alike have sinned. He has established what must be done to be saved. And then when we come to these latter sections, he is going to show how to apply those things as we seek to live out our faith. All right, so we'll go ahead and uh, stand dismissed. And as always, I appreciate your kind attention.